Welcome to What's the Word Downtown, a weekly podcast dedicated to mining the depths of the word, a word that's sharp and active in downtown Tyler, Texas. Join Eric, Matt, and Mike as we get the word out at Bethel. Well, hello, and welcome back to What's the Word Downtown. I'm Matt McGill. This is uh, Pastor Eric Barton, and we are here discussing Titus 3. We jumped in this past Sunday. We did. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. What Good a thrill. stuff. Good stuff. He's heading towards, as all Paul's letters do, he's heading towards, uh, you know, instruction. Yeah. Right? And that's sort of what we're getting here. Uh, do Starting with uh, verse 1, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities and to be obedient and to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. That's a high mark. Yeah, it's the high watermark of really all others-oriented community life. It's not just about being a good person. That the gospel transforms us into the kinds of people that are actually the best citizens but not from a legalistic, moralistic standpoint, but know the kinds of people who are really willing to disadvantage themselves for the sake of the community rather than disadvantage the community for the sake of themselves. And so Paul tells Titus, his protege, hey, remind, this is the apostle, reminding the overseer to remind the elders to instruct the people, this is the gospel life that you've been called to live. And it's a, such a high standard. One asks right away before we read on any further, how in the world, yeah. how in the world can I do that? And the answer that Paul gives right away is counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of tips for how to do it, right. he causes us to remember who we were. Right. There is a low anthropology right. that Paul says actually ignites a high Christology, mm-hmm. a high need for... Uh, Jesus to do it. For this, we have Jesus. These areas where we can't, but we know we ought. Right. He does not ever, either Jesus or Paul or anywhere in Scripture, does not ever tell us, hey, look, we're just going to scrub you up a bit. We're going to give you a turbo boost of behavior or morality and you only better. That's not the gospel. We kind of treat the gospel sometimes like it's a mixtape of mm-hmm. our life. It's, it's, it's me, but with a little bit more, yeah. that's not the gospel. It's a complete and total transformation. And so, like you said, to make that gemstone sparkle, Paul lays out some black velvet of, hey, this is the darkness that all of us, whether the irreligious pagans of Crete or the super-religious Pharisees of Israel, it's the same stuff. And when I said, and I was saying this this morning that Christians are given the Holy Spirit capability of holding two ideas in their hand That's at the right. same time. That's right. I am inherently and seemingly perpetually sinful. Yep. But I am absolutely and fully and finally loved. Cannot in get any spite of the other. That's right. And the one and the and they sort of have this magical. Not, it's not so much a balancing, but they feed each other, don't they? I mean, I'm not saying that my sin feeds grace, but certainly actualizes. They inform and they influence one yeah. another, these two ages that now overlap. Oh, that, mm-hmm. And we live sort of in both ages. As the one is passing away, the new is encroaching, but we still live in both. And so we're absolutely affected by 
both ages and we affect both ages. Should we speak to that? Because that seems a little like um, schizophrenia. I mean, I'm not I'm a sanctified schizophrenia. You know, <laughs> right. uh, everything right. around me is telling me I live in one age. Yeah. But the word is telling me I live in another. Oh, wait. And then there's a brother that's reminding me I live in another. And oh, wait, there's my wife needing me to to needing me to remember that I live in another. It's this this tension. Yeah. The issue in both of those, because both are correct. You do live in the present age to say otherwise is ridiculous. Of course, you you are in the space-time continuum. Mm -hmm. But positionally, you are seated with Christ in the heavenlies already, having received every spiritual blessing from him already. That is a Mm supra-reality. Now, we are sensory beings that live by our five senses, and so we go, yes, but this table is real and the, the room we're in is real. Yes, but in the spiritual continuum... That is every bit and actually more so real. So we do have to learn to live in that tension of the already and the not yet. And the issue is always authority and power. And I don't mean those things synonymously. I mean, what has authority in my life? Is it the pattern and the template of this world? Or is it the pattern and the template of Jesus? What actually has power? The Holy Spirit's indwelling me, illumining his word, or the stuff that looks good to me on a flickering mm-hmm. pixel screen. Mm-hmm. What really has power? And the reality is both, mm-hmm. both. But we do have a brother and a sister and a church and family members that go, hey, hey, you're plugging into a power source that's always going to corrupt your engine, always. Mm-hmm. And we have to be reminded of that, not finger-waggingly, but this is what Paul's telling Titus. Remember, hey, this is, you've got that power now. You lack nothing to be a whole, I don't want to say army, but a whole community of little Jesuses there on the island of Crete because that's what the island of Crete needs more than anything else. And you can't know that that's what the island of Crete needs more than anything else but by first considering your own need. That's exactly right. Previously, you were the problem on Crete, but then he saved you, and now you are the solution on the island of Crete. There's no neutral there. You were the heathen pagan. You were the descendant of Goliath. And now you are the solution. The spirit indwelled, walking around. Doubting worshiper that you are. Right. Sure. I mean, isn't it interesting? Again, we're holding two ideas in your hand. Wow. So he says, at one time, you two were foolish, disobedient. Couldn't he just use you were bad people? (laughs) Right? uh, The specificity is upsetting. He's got, uh, you get the feeling he's looking at like this really bad brass mirror and he's like, oh yeah, there I am. Yeah. There I am. There I am. You know, even I was listening to uh, a Joe Rogan podcast. I tell you, I listen from time to time. He was talking about something that happened to him very early that he did. It was like a sin. He like hit his buddy with a sock and with a sock full of cookies and all the cookies went out. So not only did he hurt his buddy, but everybody that was about to eat the cookies couldn't eat the cookies because they were all over. <laughs> he said, I can't get away from it. I can't forget it. Wow. I can't forget that I did that. And he, he says it was like it was the first time he felt shame. And to this day, 45, however many years later, yeah. he can't forget that. And I thought, wow, isn't that something? That mm. everything that we really did that broke another person's spirit in us or that, a broken, anything, or, or that, that broke some sort of idea of our own strength and goodness, mm. where, the, where, the, where the, the reality came ripping through that I am at odds with the universe in some way. Yeah. That I am resistant to what the universe is telling. And I want to be the king of it. 
and yet I can't fix it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I know better. That's the haunting, creeping, icy cold fingers of, I know better, and I have done things, and I am ashamed, and, and I know better, and I want to do better, and I want to fix it, and I want to atone. But deep down, I know that I can't. Yeah. Which is why I think, again, for this passage, it's, I'm a great sinner. Christ is a greater Savior. And so we take, and it's interesting in this passage, you don't ever see Paul t- talking about by faith, by faith. It's implied. Mm. But his emphasis here is, no, 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 no. Let me explain what kind of God we have. It's very similar to Ephesians 1. People get wrapped up around, oh, is that a Calvinistic passage or is it? Not the point. Paul's point in Ephesians 1 is the kind of God that he is to do what he did. Same idea here. While we were yet sinners, Romans 5, God did a thing. While we were angry, rebellious, disobedient, malicious, full of hatred, all those kinds of things, he saved us. Kindness. Yeah. Not because we had more faith than anybody else. We were jacked up running hard in the wrong way and simmering in our own shame grease. And so we have to be reminded that even on this side of conversion, what I called volume two of the two book or the two volume set that is our life, even in this volume, we still do things, say things, think things, feel things, want things that are a shame. That's true. I mean, and at the same are, time, and are and are absolutely and finally forgiven as they as we're, we walk in forgiveness. Absolutely, and so that's why the greatness of Christ, when He talks about the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Spirit, mm. that's ancient language. By the time Paul uses it, mm. it's ancient. It's seven hundred years old from Isaiah and from Ezekiel. Five hundred years old to saying, "Hey, the thing that they looked forward to that was for so long awaited." it almost became myth and legend, happened with the Christ event. It actually came to pass. And wonder of wonders, it even includes people in Ephesus and in Crete and in Galatia and in Rome and in East Texas. Which means, imagine, because we're supposed to, imagine a people walking around in the, the culminated kingdom, how they're loved, known, and forgiven, that's how we are to walk around now. They, no will, they will walk around in the kindness yeah. and in the love of God, showing kindness That's and the right. love of God. That's right. Wow. That's good stuff. Uh, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Now, you say that's from Isaiah. Well, it's... Or a prophecy it, foretold in, in Isaiah. Initially, yes. You've got Jesus in Matthew 19 and in John 3 talking about water and the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so for centuries, people have said, okay, well, that must be water baptism followed by the Spirit baptism or the second blessing or all of these things. And those two texts have been used, unfortunately, errantly, to defend some sort of mystical moment of moisturization that actually ushers in the Spirit of God. Okay, Which you can see how if you just skip and dip that text right out of there, out of context, it might seem to indicate that. But that's absolutely not what Jesus is talking about. And it's certainly not what Paul's talking about. Paul's pointing back to Jesus. Jesus is pointing back, in both cases, to Ezekiel 36 and Isaiah 65, saying the thing that they always looked forward to has now come. And now Paul gets to say, he's done it. He's done it, and it's splattered globally, not just localized to the ancient Near East. But it's a... It's a, a marker in God's redemptive history 
that he had planned from before the foundations of the earth. Is it That's how indicated, indicated in, um, in, the, in the flood in Noah? The, the washing and rebirth, the regeneration. It certainly pointed to the there Holy Spirit dove, largely the, in yeah. the in the Exodus narrative. Yeah. Through the water, there is sure. death. You come out, you emerge, there's life. That's the, Israel goes through the water of death and separation and emerges. True Israel, Jesus, that's the, that's the tomb. Mm-hmm. And so in the same way then that we look at the nation of Israel in the exile, separate, dead, apart, but God says, I will sprinkle you. I will send you my spirit. Mm-hmm. Man, all those things, this little bitty three-chapter book, Titus, really written to Gentiles, is where Paul says, hey, church, don't you know who you are, whose you are? We sang it this morning, you are a child of love. Isn't it, isn't it something like the Holy Spirit would never reside in an unforgiven vessel? Correct. I mean, isn't that something like yeah. what we're being taught there? That is to say, oh, man. how could the Holy Spirit take up residence where there is uh, there's distance between God there and and that person or that soul, uh, you know, like we have to be forgiven to begin to to, for, to be a place to behold a place, right? Yeah, but my forgiveness does not depend on me feeling forgiven. Mm. My forgiveness is a fact uttered forth by the Father, but. All too many second volume Christians say, I don't feel forgiven, therefore I'm really not. Learning to fly. <laughs> oh, they should get a song in there. You know, there's a, there's a sense of, and, and Michelle was talking about this a couple of years ago when he was here. He said, Yes. Didn't he say yes, the, the yes. prime act or the, the prime act of a Christian or is the prime to, struggle is to learn. To live forgiven. To learn to live forgiven. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You know, I, when I was singing, we sang, All My Hope Is In Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I've always had a little trouble with that lyric because if I think that all my working out hope is in Jesus, <laughs> I mean, my hope is in many, many, many things. But the, I don't want to say the least of which, believe me, but oftentimes functionally, functionally. I, I put my hope in a lot of different things. Right. But to declare in worship that all my hope is in Jesus, that is to say, any hope that I actually have yeah. ha- is all rooted in him. And I felt that that's what, that's what this... That's it. That's exactly it. I, hope, confident expectation of something good in the future. Yeah. The only hope that we have, therefore, is what Jesus has done. Now, there are good work, righteousness, that we do in our second volume, post-conversion lives that he rewards us for, but those things he prepared in advance for us to do. He's doing that work, really, just in and through us, and then, shock of shocks, mm-hmm. rewards us for it. Mm. Like, I, you literally couldn't get the story to be any better. Multitude of blessings. Yep. It's like a compounding interest. <laughs> That's exactly right. I mean, there's something like that. Mark and, Twain and, said it was the eighth wonder of the world. Well, and it's that very, it's that very principle that even P- Jordan Peterson was talking about when he talked about the Prado principle, that is, to him who is given more will be given. Yeah. That is to stay, to live and move and have your being in Christ and to be a canister for the Holy Spirit to reside, yeah. blessings will unfold, but primarily through the counterintuitive uh, path of the cross. Sure. <laughs> and suffering. And, uh, well, I, I, yeah, I think a passage like this, yes, is intensely theological, anthropological, but you said it when we started off, Christologically, When you see what Paul says in verse 4, that the goodness and the kindness and the philanthropy of God 
appeared. Candidly, most of us don't think of Jesus in that way. Or we don't think of him incorrectly, perhaps, but not, not completely, accurately. We think of Jesus as the carpenter's son from Nazareth, and he was a nice guy, probably a little mealy-mouthed, and probably, you know... Mm-hmm. Or we like to think of him in some other sort of narrow way. Or maybe we think of him rightly as what we see in Revelation 1. Mm-hmm. But... And we sing the song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, which is a great song. But we forget that the Father loves us. The Father loves us, and all of his goodness, all of his love of humanity was bound up, incarnated in Christ. I love that you said that. And sent to us, to walk among us, and that now, it's not just that he came, although, as the Hebrews would say, they I knew, that would be enough, but that we, we are not Jesus, but in this age, we are his presence. We walk around thus. Oh, the lady when we went to see in uh, Waco. Uh, oh, uh, Fleming Rutledge. Fleming Rutledge oh. said that something like to the effect of he has played by his own rules. Yeah. He has played fair. He has entered into the human predicament and yet without sin yeah. uh, gave his life that we might know that we might know God's kindness and love with proof, mm. with everlasting consciousness of his love for us. So to, um, to carry on, man, you're going to move into the last, the last bit of three. Lord willing, we'll uh, land from chapter three, verse eight to the end of the book of Titus and uh, see how a people who, if you think about it, not to give anything away, mm-hmm. are supposed to be sort of those people at the mall who are squirting perfume, a sample of the fragrance and the aroma mm. of that which is coming. That's like that. that's us. The aroma, the fragrance of Jesus. Mm-hmm. You remember old Steve Brown was here yeah, yeah, years yeah. ago. You all smell like Jesus. Well, you not really. Smell like except Jesus, it was nine octaves yeah. lower, right? <laughs> but he's on to something. We are to be the aroma, the fragrance of Christ, which is what we in ministry call job security. Because we're not there. That smell. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. What is that? Leonard Skinner? Okay. Hey, I wouldn't know. <laughs> Man, all right. Well, be smelly this week, okay? Aroma and fragrant up. We'll see you next week. God bless. Bye now.